good evening and welcome to tonight's edition of Resistance TV. I'm delighted to welcome Tracy Mulligan and Steve Gower onto the programme this evening to talk about Insulate Britain's campaign against fuel poverty. Every year, thousands of people die in this country from conditions caused by living in cold homes. This is tantamount to an annual cull of working class people. Friedrich Engels coined a term for this in his seminal book, The Condition of the Working Class in England. He wrote, the class which at present holds social and political control places proletarians in such a position that they inevitably meet a too early and an unnatural death. He described this as social murder. Who'd have thought that 176 years after Engels' book was published, social murder would still be around and actually be on the increase? I've been campaigning against fuel poverty for around 40 years and getting precisely nowhere. And at the turn of this century, the new Labour government set a target to end fuel poverty for vulnerable households by 2010 and to eradicate fuel poverty for everyone by the end of 2016. But tragically, they failed miserably on both counts. In 2013, when I was still an MP, I moved a series of amendments to the Energy Bill to commit the government to eradicating fuel poverty by 2020. But my amendments were not only rejected by the Tories, the Labour leadership opposed them too. But look, talk is cheap, and the reason you Labour failed to meet its targets was because it failed to address the root cause of these preventable deaths. And that root cause is corporate capitalism. The Parliamentary Labour Party is enthralled to corporate capitalists. That's why they took no meaningful steps to achieve the targets they set themselves 21 years ago. That's why my amendments were opposed by the Labour leadership in 2013. And that's why the Corbyn project was ruthlessly sabotaged by so-called Labour MPs. Meanwhile, working class people are losing their lives because they can't afford to heat their homes adequately. This refusal to invest in suitable insulation and the failure to nationalise the energy utilities is also contributing to the climate crisis. That's why the Resist Movement's core policy platforms includes a commitment to reverse all privatisations of public services, including the utilities, and to insulate all residential and commercial premises to reduce the carbon footprint and end fuel poverty. The consistent failure of the political class to deal with this endless emergency is why Insulate Britain activists are now trying to force the issue, and they're risking their liberty to do so. But before I bring in our guests, I just want to play this short video where Insulate Britain urged the government to take this issue seriously. Dear Prime Minister Johnson and the British Conservative Party, we are writing to you about a matter of utmost urgency, the climate emergency. We are citizens with no agenda other than to ensure the survival of our children, our neighbourhoods and our country in this time of unprecedented crisis. As Sir David King recently stated, we have to act quickly. The next three to four years will determine the future of humanity. Prime Minister, it is your responsibility and your legal duty to act in the best interest of the British people. Investing in insulation of our housing stock produces the greatest reduction in emissions compared with any other option 
Insulate Britain has a simple and achievable demand to insulate all the housing stock in Britain now. It will create tens of thousands of jobs, jobs which we can be proud of. It will prevent thousands of deaths and help the millions currently living in fuel poverty who have to decide between heat or food. We believe Conservatives all over the country would be prepared to make tough decisions now if it prevented catastrophe tomorrow. It's time to get on with the job. And if there is no substantial response to these demands by the 1st of September, we will make further announcements about what actions we will next be forced to take. Let me bring in uh, Tracy first of all. Uh, Tracy, you've certainly made an impact since that video was recorded and, and posted online. And uh, I know that you've been on national TV and certainly the campaign has attracted a lot of attention. And I'm reminded, to be honest with you, of uh, campaigns like the, the suffragettes. I mean, they were very controversial at the time. And I'm sure a lot of people were telling them, oh, look, you know, don't engage in these sorts of uh, direct action tactics. Uh, you know, just be reasonable, just be uh, polite and, and diplomatic. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll listen to you and we'll, we'll make progress. But as I said in my introduction, I personally been campaigning against the fuel poverty. I was a member of parliament and uh, council leader and made very little uh, impact. And obviously the frustration is boiling over now with, with uh, yourselves and lots of other people are becoming increasingly aware of the of the challenges, not just with fuel poverty, but obviously the, the clear implication of, uh, or the consequences of, uh, you know, not dealing with this problem and the, you know, the climate uh, crisis. So just tell us about the uh, the genesis, really, of, of Insulate Britain to to begin with and uh, and what your, your next steps are likely to be, because I know a number of activists have already been sentenced to prison terms and, and others are, are in court in the next few days and are potentially facing uh, prison terms themselves. So just tell us, as I say, a little bit about the genesis of Insulate Britain and uh, and then tell us about what your next plans are. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. It's a real honour to be here tonight and nice to be talking to somebody who doesn't want to make out that I'm a terrorist because I started caring <laughs> about this stuff, you know. So yeah. this is all very new for me. I'd never really followed politics. It felt that something that was other, you know, to, to me, it was October 19. I heard that there were protesters in London and that they were saying an um, emergency had been declared and Parliament should act like it. And I honestly thought, what emergency? What is this climate crisis? You know, and I was just horrified to realise that my Parliament can declare an emergency five months. I hear nothing. Most of my friends and family know nothing. And then the dawning realisation that if I was still working, if I hadn't have got ill and lost my job, I wouldn't have had time to read science reports, watch select committees, you know, look at what's going on in the Houses of Parliament. Because I think you said, you know, a contract's been broken, social murder. And um, that's what it is, right? Because we vote them in and then trust that if there was going to be a problem, that they would let us know. Because, you know, we want to work together. Most people, you know, as we saw with coronavirus, are happy. To, to protect each other it's the west monster bubble that can't believe that so it's been a real short but interesting journey i mean what a year a couple of years right i woke up to politics and paying attention and we had an election you know i'd voted before but i'd never really invested i'd never been canvassing and i was heartbroken <laughs> you know when um Corbyn didn't get in because suddenly everything that they're saying is making sense to me you know i'd always thought of the economy a bit like gravity you can't change it, but it bloody hurts if you fall. 
and that's all a load of lies isn't it Chris so yeah for me it's been it's been yeah intense and just you know because I'm not working because I'm at home you know and I'm very grateful that I live in Britain I do understand being poorly in any other country I, I wouldn't be as well looked after as I am here but we've still got a way to go but realizing that this truth is being withheld because the truth is ugly and MPs more concerned about popularity is yeah it's a great crime to me what is going on so when I heard about Ah. Insulate Britain it it felt the only responsible thing to do was to demand that we stop the madness no indeed so so what's the next steps then Tracy I mean obviously some of your activists have already been sent to prison others are potentially facing a jail term I mean is this is this going to deter Insulate Britain we've been embarking on different tactics? I mean, what's the next plans? What's the next steps? To to never give up. From the beginning, we've been steadfast. You know, we thought the campaign might run two or three weeks before they locked us all up because, you know, despite this injunction, there were laws that they could have stopped us with. You know, we weren't even getting bail conditions. It was quite surreal. Um, So, of course, we'll continue. You know, every week we were just talking together. Are we going to continue? Yeah, we're going to continue. So it's been so humbling watching people like Steve, you know, who's never been arrested before, going again yeah. and again and again. So we will yeah. continue. You know, they're taking us in in batches of nine into court. So, yeah. We tell, us, tell, we us a li- tell us a little bit about this injunction, uh, uh, if you if you can, Trace, because I, I suspect that a lot of people won't be fully across what, what has actually happened. I mean, obviously, you, 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 you posted that video. You then started taking the direct action. Uh, then this injunction was served on you. Just, just tell me a, a bit about that and, and, and who is this injunction against? Is it named individuals or the organisation or what? It's against anybody and everybody. No, it's um, they're not naming individuals, although some of us have been named. 32 are definitely named to now. The injunction stands against anybody from any campaign group doing anything. It's It's quite terrifying. And it's also, it really makes me angry. Yet another example that our government are prepared to change laws through the back door to suit themselves, right? We are not being sent to prison for sitting on the road. We are not being given the chance to be judged by, you know, a jury of our peers, which is, you know, that's quite a fundamental rock of our justice system as far as I'm concerned. They're going through the back door. We're being locked up for contempt of court. So for daring to continue to protest it. Yeah, I find it quite scary myself that they're prepared to go to these lengths to remove justice and people understanding what's going on is, is the way I view them is at the moment. So it's real yeah. lack of character on Pretty Tales part. Right. And who, who who took the injunction? Was it the highways agency or or who's who, who was? Yeah, they're, they're, it's the highways. Oh, they keep changing the name. I think it's called the highways agency. Oh, um, yeah. Or we've been confused by the name, but. Yeah, it's the roads of England or whoever cares for them. And, you know, we've had interesting debates. Well, don't roads belong to the public or do they belong to the Queen? So it's a brand new thing that's happening. You know, they've never taken protesters to prison through breaking injunctions before in the UK. This is all new territory for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Let me bring in Steve then, if I I can now. Um, Steve, I mean, one of the criticisms which is levelled against Insulate Britain activists is that apparently you're all middle class, you're all wealthy, and most of you are retired. So can you just uh, tell us about your background and about the other activists that are involved in Insulate Britain to confirm or deny whether you're all wealthy, uh, retired? And uh, (laughs) yes, just, just, just tell us a bit about that. 
Well, thank you, Chris, for giving me this time to be able to speak on behalf of myself and the people that have been on this campaign. Um, middle class. Well, no, I'm, I'm personally not middle class. I've been working class all my life up until the time about five or six years ago where I found myself homeless uh, due to a, a relationship breakdown, which can happen to anybody, anytime, any day. And I wish, wouldn't wish that on anybody. Um, and um, ever since then, I've been um, voluntary advocating for the injustices that I saw whilst I was in temporary accommodation in my town where I live in Gloucestershire. Um, and basically representing and giving people a voice that are on the street that may not and have not don't even realize that they have got rights uh, that's been an amazing journey and whilst i've been advocating i've always also been uh, campaigning on their behalf um but also with um my i, I joined unite communities uh, in my in my area so i've been um on marches for uh, various industrial disputes including honda uh for one nhs uh, universal credit cuts, the lot, um, Black Lives Matter, um, a, a numerous, a load, uh, free Palestine, a lot of. Would you uh, say, uh, would you say, Steve, that you're you're typical of insulate Britain activists? I mean, how many wealthy middle class retired activists have you got? I, you'd have to ask them. Um, all I can say is, is that yeah, some of us are over the age of fifty plus. Um, but what I've noticed in this campaign is the fact that these individuals have got a lot, regardless of what their um, experience is regarding homelessness and poverty, they're willing to step in line and 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 take control of a, of a protest movement. And um, we got loads of different varieties of people, people like myself who are unemployed, people who are disabled, people who have retired young individuals, I mean the under 25s, uh, individuals from a vast background of, of uh, society. Um, yeah. And I, I got to be honest, Chris, before I, I, I went into this campaign because of the, of the food and food poverty that I could see. Yeah. Uh, and what I've learned regarding the environment, sat around a table with individuals of and have a decent discussion about the, the injustices and inequalities and, and, and whatever happens with regarding to the people and the planet it's opened my eyes enormously and it, it's such a unique position we're in as a group of individuals that combined together we can we can well the movement can make a difference and speak for them for them yeah. fellow-minded people as well it's incredible an incredible experience i've had since this, this, this I, I mean how many how many activists or members of Insulate Britain are there now I mean is it is it growing as an organization I, be, I believe so um I think we started with around about 130 um, right put to put it in a context perhaps even more but put it in a context after the unfortunate um, incarceration of the last nine um, campaigners, we had uh, over 120 arrests on Lambeth and Vauxhall Bridge, and they were new. The majority of them were new 
new people as in getting arrested for the very first time as mm. was myself before i started this campaign i think yeah. it's hitting a nerve it's, it's hitting a nerve where people are actually well i hope it is that people who haven't had a voice in the past have now with the actions that we're taking we're listening we know what yeah. you're going through the pain especially when i'm talking about the the, the poverty side of it mm. and and giving an inner strength to them people that may not realize about the climate they're a voice yeah. as well you know those yeah. that are not quite sure have watched what 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 about yeah. about the um about the climate that's going to happen in the next 10 15 20 years no indeed i mean uh, you said you're a member of uh, unite communities steve i mean have you had any interest support or hostility from fellow trade unionists um on the grassroots, I've got to be honest, no, I haven't. Um, people that I know through Unite Community, yeah. I'm trying to get the branches to like the branches to actually acknowledge the fact that a bit of solidarity, it's a I've got to be honest, it's a bit of a struggle, but that might be just because of the in the context of where I am at the moment. Um yeah. uh, to put it mildly, yeah, I would I would love I would love more unity between not just Unite, but all trade union movement um, and the civil movement as well, because this is yeah. this will affect everybody, everybody, regardless of working class, sex, gender, um, no, race, whatever. I mean, Tracy, uh, I mean, some of the criticisms which I've seen of Insulate Britain, they're saying, oh, you know, it's, this is uh, affecting uh, working class people disrupting their ability to get to work and so on. I mean, how, how do you respond to this? I mean, these, these are criticisms which are coming from people who say they're on the left, people who, you know, fellow socialists who uh, are, you know, gen general, concerned about the environment, concerned about, um, you know, the social conditions of, of, of uh, people. But, um, you know, some people seem to be repeating the, um, you know, the attack lines which we're seeing in the, in the corporate press. So, so I just wondered how you would uh, respond to that when when people level that criticism in Chile. Yeah, we all hate doing it. None of us, you know, we, we're doing this, <clears throat> sorry, because we care. So we hate it. But tell us another way to get on the media like we managed to do for six weeks, please. You know, that's not a flip response. You know, genuinely, we've all thought I've only been in the an activist, if you want to call it that, for a couple of years, but there are hundreds of years combined in the campaign of people who've, you know, been going since Green and Common Day. I've met wonderful women. Um, it feels to me the only way to break the deadlock on the truth that the media and the government have is by disrupting enough normal people, normal people, that the media has no option but to give us airtime or show themselves, you know, how very yeah. choosy they are with what they share on the media. So we hate doing it, but the truth is ugly. You know, this isn't about being popular. I think we're in this mess to some extent. It's multi-layered, isn't it? But part of it is people want to be popular and people want to be popular. You know, journalists maybe want to be popular, people like this maybe. And we've got to stop that. You know, the truth is ugly. People can't do what is needed unless we tell the ugly truth. So... Yeah, we're really sorry, but I hope when you got home, <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you had some space to think. I'm in a nice, cosy home. I haven't got to make the choice between heating the eating and we really have to get our emissions down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and just in terms of, uh, you know, the rationale for, for what you're doing, I know I've seen you valiantly fighting against uh, the hostile questions from Richard Maidley, uh, where, 
it almost kind of came to that, it seemed. <laughs> Where they're not really, I mean, they basically are just sort of uh, playing the, uh, uh, you know, playing the person, really, you know, uh, these ad hominem attacks that we see. They, and I know you were frustrated and they were trying to get them to talk about well, what, what is it underneath? What, what is it driving people, you know, law-abiding citizens? What is it driving people? They've never been in trouble with the law, many people, or arrested or anything like that in the past to take the you know very bold direct action that you are doing now and 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 you got some of those points over i thought despite his unwillingness to um, allow you to make those, uh, those 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 points clear uh, so obviously this is an opportunity now uh, tracy perhaps you know just want to set out what, what is it that's driving and what 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 are the potential consequences if we don't get a a grip of the climate crisis, which I think, you know, far too many people are, are, are kind of sleepwalking, it seems to me, to potential catastrophe. And it's really important, I think, that we wake people up. You're doing a great job, I think, of raising people's consciousness in that sense, because, OK, people might be pissed off that they're having their journeys disrupted and so on. But hopefully it's making people look in a little bit more detail now about what is it that's driving you to actually take this sort of action. I mean, and hopefully then, you know, people will start to see the real potential existential crisis that is afflicting humanity. I mean, it's not too strong to put it like, in my, in my opinion. But anyway, just set that out, if you could, Tracy. Just unpack it a bit more. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Um, so what drives me is, like I said, the understanding that if I hadn't have lost my job, I probably wouldn't know most of what I know now. It makes me desperate, right? I should have known this stuff. We all should know this stuff. Um, and then the second part, why? Why haven't the government and media been honest with us? You know, the first council meeting I ever went to, one of them MPs said, you can't tell people the truth unless you make it happy. So people will get depressed and do nothing. And I got angry and <laughs> stood up and said, we'll start coming to your meetings. And I, I walked out um, and I've spent, especially since being in like this media circle, it's so surreal. I never wanted any of this. I, I want to go back to crochet in invading. <laughs> but yeah, what what is it? What's the grip? And I can only think it's green. People have sold out, you know, just like the tobacco companies did. The fossil fuel companies wanted to delay. You know, I keep making myself believe the best in people, Chris. I'm determined, you know, love and rage is what XR says. So they're scared. I think it's they know that they've sold out these lines. They know they're lying to each other. I think there's an element of fear. I don't think that council cared if people got depressed. I think maybe it was a bit worried. But more people like me would be going, hang on. <laughs> You've done what now? Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's hard. And what I found really difficult <laughs> since paying attention to this stuff is like, I get hit a lot with, but we have democracy choices, you know. Why don't you just vote? Have you watched the people in the House of Commons is what I want to say. There's no debate. Like, there's no talk going on in our world at the moment. It's arguing. And it's like people have to win or lose. And what we have at the moment is a crisis. It means we get a bit creative. You know, I think some of that, we train creativity out of ourselves and our children. We work in education. But that's maybe wandering a little bit off track. But, yeah, what, what stops us telling us to do it? The lobbyists have such power. There's huge greed. Um, and I think we fear each other more than we should. So my faith in people has actually grown during this campaign. Quite an awful lot. You know, I get an awful lot of hate. Yeah. <laughs> but despite some of the media whipping people up to be violent on the street, you know, we haven't been seen it. There's been some difficult to watch. 
um, instances. But, you know, people aren't like that. If we all agree that it, it's a case of, isn't it? Sorry, we got some things really wrong. This out-of-control capitalism is a really bad idea. <laughs> Giving the banks mm. free reign, it's a really bad idea. You know, to me, I look around and I think all this stuff is proven to not be working. So why are we more scared of change having a go? No, indeed. But I mean, you were talking, weren't you, about the the implications of a two degree temperature rise, average temperature rise, and what what that would mean for people in this country and around the world. Just say a little bit more about that. So the physical reality of where we're at now, you know, two degrees. When I first heard it, I thought, what's the big deal? I don't like being cold. A degree sounds like nothing, does it? But what we don't really accept is that human beings, all life, we can only live within a certain range of all sorts of different environmental conditions, heat being one of them. And 98% of scientists agree, and the Chatham House report said we've got a 95% chance of getting two degrees. And as we go into two and three degrees, drought will increase. And we've seen how the business world responds to that. They put water on the stock market. You know, we're going to face famine, rice crops, wheat crops are going to fail. So we're going to face famine, drought, sorry, with the water, drought and famine. And a billion people on the move because people are resilient, right? If we, if parts of the world become uninhabitable because of war, famine or drought, people will move. And if we continue with this horrible way of handling it, right? Sorry, you were the potluck of your birth, make sure you're born on the wrong side. We don't care. We're not sharing. We're going to have to have war, right? And we're going to be greedy and not share. So it, it maybe sounds a bit childish, but we just, we need to get a bit better at sharing because of physical reality. Because if we don't get the heat down, the luxuries of are going to be food and water, not do I need a new iPhone? <laughs> you know. It's, um, yeah, no, indeed. Well, I mean, again, in, in the in in, that, in our sort of core policy uh, agenda, I mean, we we you know we've talked about the, the importance of a, a, a proper green new deal, and and that means you know not just I mean adaptation, yes, but there's only so high you can build defence floods you know walls to defend against flooding and so on and so you know we've talked there needs to be a, a radical rethink of the agricultural practices there needs to be a reforesting i think of our uplands and we need to be using britain's influence to, in the world to encourage these sorts of measures to be taken elsewhere ironically china which gets a lot of stick is actually doing a lot in terms of uh, renewable energy but is also in, engaged in a massive re, reforestation program the twenty three percent of China's land mass is now forest, and they have a they have a target to reach thirty percent by uh, twenty thirty. Now, if the United States and all these other Western countries that like to criticise China, and there's a lot wrong with China. I'm not saying China's perfect, far from it. But uh, you know, it is doing a lot right, and you know, we get a very unbalanced um, discussion about this. The commentary is is very partial. Uh, a bit like, frankly, the sort of coverage that, that you get. We, we hear this, you know, about China and they're kind of moving towards, uh, well, they seem to be building up towards a war with China. It's absolutely ridiculous, the state of all affairs. But um, I just want to bring uh, Steve in back uh, again, if I can. And uh, just to sort of say, for anybody who's who's watching, if you've got any questions, I don't think we've got Sean with us this evening. So if uh, you normally uh, scrutinise us, uh, Sean or, or Lizzie, uh, any questions that come, mm. comes in and then... Uh, Puts them to the the panel. Uh, so if you've got any questions, if you post them in the chat, uh, and then Gaz will put them up on screen, and I'll ask Steve and, and Tracy if they could uh, respond to them. But uh, let me just bring uh, Steve back in. Uh, Steve, I mean, one of the things, obviously, is on occasions it's looked, um, you know, pretty hairy. Uh, some of the uh, 
as it were, confrontations between yourselves when you uh, block the roads and, and, you know, some motorists have, have got, you know, quite aggressive. And I think one protester was almost run over, but not quite. Um, I just wonder how you've dealt with that kind of aggression and what's been the response from, from motorists? I mean, and have you been able to engage people in a, in a rational dialogue? Um, yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, the, the initial start of the campaign um, was a bit difficult because the, the public didn't realise exactly what it was about. And that was probably the hardest um, block that I was involved with. Um, from that time, I've got a hand on heart um, say that um, as, the, as it progressed, at one stage, and I can only say that as an individual who was on one block, it, there was dead silence. I couldn't get over it, the fact that people were sat in their cars and we explained to them as soon as the police would arrive that we would, um, it would all be clear. And there was nothing I had to say. I handed out a few leaflets and what have you. And, on the, and yet, on the media on the same day, all they were took was another block that had been contacted where they were pulling people off. I can't remember now. And I thought, hang on a sec, this, this wasn't a block that they were reporting that we were on. And I think the message got through. There's obviously that the, the people um, that were upset, um, but nothing to the extent of personally, I can say, on the, up until what the first block was. Um, and I, I take my hat off to them individually and people because we, we were, we are there, given a voice to to. Don't forget when we started this campaign, there was eight and a half thousand stated to be dying in their homes. That was in September, and by the time we finished, the figures come out for the following year of sixty-three thousand individuals dying in their home. And you can't from, from cold re from cold related uh, cold houses uh, conditions related to living in cold from, from from dying in their homes. That's what that, that's what I infield poverty. The cause of yeah. it, yeah, infield. Okay, that's what that's what I'm understanding. Mm. Um, there was some figures I, I I guess for COVID, but then you've got to ask: Did you you talk on a huge issue? With houses, they think, "Well, houses, this houses that." But you're talking, of, you're talking of social care, and, and God knows what. Why would individuals die in their own home? Okay, some may well be ill and want to pass away. I get that, yeah, but not sixty-three thousand. No. Why weren't they in hospitals? Why, if they, if they did die of COVID, I mean, why weren't they in hospitals? Why weren't they getting the care that they 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 deserved or want possibly want? Or why were they left alone? There's so many questions that beggars belief, but 63,000 individuals passed mm. away in the winter of 2020, compared to 8,500 acknowledged the year before. Mm. And it's going to get worse, Chris. We know that. I'm, I'm living in fuel poverty myself. I'm living in a, in a private rental flat where I am sat here now, and it's freezing. All right? Mm. I've got to have the heating on. I've got the choice of heating or eating, like mm. 7 million others. Okay. They can't go on no more. We've had protests. We've had sick petitions. We've had everything. I think my MP, 
all right i've done all that got all the t-shirts and it doesn't work and well the situation's getting worse isn't it steve i mean that's the point i mean you know we are an incredibly wealthy country the fifth biggest economy and yeah can i just say this i'm living in fuel poverty because i'm on universal credit They've, yeah. stopped, they've stopped the £20, redu like reduced the, the, the money by £20 a year when they should have increased it by another £20. Yeah. All right. I've been sanctioned because I had an opportunity to go to get this, to go to my job centre to be told how much I'd be better off with £20 less in my back pocket or to sit on the M25 and say, this isn't right. Mm -hmm. And I got sanctioned for that. All right. The God willing, I will probably end up in jail this time next week all right but that at least i'll be i'll be fed and have a roof over my head this is 2021 and a middle-aged man at retirement age has got that to look forward to i've worked all my life all right yeah i just want to state to you or to the others possibly watching this there's a i am the ghost of christmas future and if nothing changes you'll be sat in this flat and you'll be having the same sort of injustices that I'm seeing every every single day. I don't want to pass that on to my son, all right? And I dare say nobody else wants to pass it on to their children. There's nothing here to fall back on. Act now before it's too that's late. A powerful, that, that, that's a very powerful point, Steve, and, and I can echo that. I think a lot of people perhaps don't realise the precarious nature of, life in Britain today. And I saw this on a regular basis when I was doing my MP surgeries. And I would get constituents coming to see me who'd lost their job, who'd been fortunate to be in work all their lives in relatively well-paid occupations. People working in places like Rolls-Royce, which is, you know, well-paid, relatively well-paid anyway, uh, occupation. And, you know, Dolby's fortunate. It's got a number of high-tech uh, industries and so on. And it's diminished in terms of the number of people that, that work in those sorts of occupations, it has to be said. I mean, when I left school in Derby in 1972, I think there's around 120,000 people in, in manufacturing. It wasn't perfect, but, you know, you could look forward to a secure future, reasonable standard of living. You could either get a council house or if you wanted to, you'd have the money as a working class individual to be able to buy your own home. But, but very often, well, invariably, actually, people would say they couldn't believe how parsimonious the social security system was in this country. A lot of people thought, oh, you know, People are living a life of Riley on uh, on uh, on benefits, but of course we know that that is completely untrue. And so I think that that's a really powerful point that you make that you know that people could find themselves in the situation that you know that you've just outlined there. And that's why I think it's important that we need to stand. I mean, we keep going on about this in the resist movement. You know, we have to work together. We have to stand together in solidarity. We've got more in common with each other as working class people. Uh, than we have with uh, those at the top of society, the people, you know, running the corporations, the people pulling the strings, as it were. And I always used to say to people when I was campaigning on the doorstep, if I came across someone who would complain about asylum seekers or immigrants or whatever, that I always make the point, you have more in common with the asylum seekers, you have more in common with migrants than you have with those captains of industry, because... People are very often fleeing the wars and the exploitation that those corporations are responsible for. And so, you know, whilst we also have, a, you know, lots that unites us in this country, there is lots that unites us worldwide. And, uh, you know, as Marx talked about, you know, workers of the world unite. There's never been a more apposite time, it seems to me, 
for us to to do that and to and to make that case. And we have to make the point that you know that that collective response is so crucial. And what we've seen over the last forty years, of course, is this kind of individualization. I mean, Thatcher made the point that there's no such thing as family. Uh, sorry, no such thing as society making bond. Only, only individuals and 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 families. And that's a you know it's a, it's a very negative way of looking at it. But of course, it suits the interests of the of the corporate elites. If we kind of internalize and individualize kind of any misfortune that might befall us, internalize as if it's our fault. We've done something wrong, rather than actually it being a feature of the system. You, I think, making that point, Steve, of going along with protesting is you know is 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 is, is you know very pertinent to actually you know highlight why why we're in this situation. Let's do something about it. We shouldn't be in the situation. Where we are, uh, you know, people are struggling in, in the way in which you've outlined. But uh, so, see, just that, I mean, obviously, a number of your colleagues have have been sent to to jail. Um, just remind us how long a jail term they've got, and can you also tell us a little bit as well about one of your number who went on hunger strike and and how is she? Because I think she was taken to hospital, if I'm not mistaken. But perhaps you could maybe start with that. I mean, how is she? Is she is she okay? Uh, what's happening on that? Yeah, thanks for asking, Chris. So two two of them are on hunger strike, Emma Smart and Ben Booth. Um, she is on the hospital wing, but reports are she's doing well. Phone calls, email contact. Um, yeah, she's as healthy as she can be, right? It's after a couple of weeks, it takes a toll on your body. There's, there's no way around mm. it. She's doing it in solidarity with all those people. Over seven million more. It's going to be more this year, isn't it? Like Sue said, we know this because, um, yeah. because of the way they've handled COVID. So she's been in solidarity with all those people making choices between heat and reaching. So her and Ben uh, just being steadfast. And, yeah. Can't and how long have they, how long, what, what, what was the jail term that they got? There's a variety. So two, two protesters got three months. Um, another, all the others got four months apart from Ben Taylor because he told the judge that he would continue the campaign and he said a naughty word in Corbyn. I think that's really why they gave him an extra two months. So, our Steve, the cells are warm, darling. You will at least be warming now and the food's not too bad. Yeah, he's you're looking at about four months, aren't you? Think? But our courts are being very, um, very inconsistent at the moment, you know. Like I said, this whole injunction business is a way of avoiding juries and, and not letting us, you know, not giving us our rights. Yeah. He does by a jury of our peers, so, so we'll see. Yeah. Steve, you're you're in court, aren't you? It's, it's the High Court, isn't it? In 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 London, I believe. Is that right? That's correct. Yes, Chris. On yeah. The and, and just 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 tell us when when are you in court? What what's the date of the hearing? Uh, Tuesday the thirteenth or fourteenth. Thirteenth. Right. Yeah, thirteenth. Right. Um, we haven't got a time yet, but I'm assuming it'll be around about ten o'clock in the morning. Um, right. And how many? How many are? How many are up in the court on that day, Steve? There's there's nine of us, but one has already been charged from a previous time when he's in as in in custody. He's one of the hunger strikers, um, but he's the ninth that will be up in court, which would make a total of us then uh, nine, but seventeen. Altogether, are you being represented in court? Have you got solicitors? Yes, or yes. I've yeah. got a barrister. Um, right. It's a bit, but I might, as a number of us have in the past, um, represent ourselves. I've just decided what to do on that. Mm. Um, 
but there is a barrister barristers involved yeah 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 well very, very best very very best of luck <laughs> for civil well, very, non-violent direct yeah. action no indeed i mean very best of luck and uh, look i mean there's you know there's a there's an honorable tradition of, of direct action in this country i mentioned the suffragettes and so on and uh you know but there are all those uh, you know anti-arms um, campaigners and so on who've, who've actually won cases in court because they've they've argued that they are taking action Yes, they broke the law, but they're breaking the law to, to prevent a, an even bigger breach, as it were, an even bigger uh, uh, attack, if you like, on, on people. And, and, and clearly what you're doing in terms of highlighting the impact of, of fuel poverty, which we know is, is killing thousands, I mean, tens of thousands, uh, probably. Um, it's, uh, uh, well, we know certainly tens of thousands uh, last year. And I think the World Health Organization, when they were uh, looking at the, uh, when they were looking at the fuel, sorry, looking at the uh, excess winter deaths in, uh, in, in Britain, uh, there's a range of reasons why mortality rates in, in the winter is, uh, is, is greater than, uh, than in the summer, um, you know, icy roads and things like that. A proportion of it obviously down to living in cold homes and what they were saying was that the 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 number of people dying as a consequence of fuel poverty is actually if anything underestimated so so i think we can safely say we are looking at the tens of thousands of of people who are being affected i'm seeing that lizzie's joined us which is which is good i just before bring lizzie in and, and see what kind of audience reaction we've been getting thanks lizzie i wasn't sure if you were there uh, this evening just in terms, I mean, uh, one of those discussions that um, that I think uh, one of the questions that has been put, I'm not sure if it was to you, Tracy, or one of your colleagues, was about, you know, well, how will you afford to pay for uh, all this insulation, etc.? Well, I think that's very easily very easily answered, to be honest with you, because as I've already said, Britain is a very wealthy country, but we have the advantage of having our own sovereign currency. The Bank of England issues our currency, so we can never run out of money. Money is no object in this country. That's the point. Here, here. We, need to, we need to make that case loud and clear to anybody who kind of asks these questions, because they're coming at it from a you know they're speaking in a sort of economic illiterate way. Uh, you know, we 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 came off the gold stand in this country. Many, many years ago, we, we were linked into something called the Bretton Woods Agreement, which is effectively the gold standard. But Richard Nixon abandoned that in 1971. And so it's been a floating fiat currency ever since. And I would recommend anybody who's interested in this topic or indeed interested in you know, how we improve our infrastructure, housing stock and pay for public services, etc., to look up work by... People like Bill Mitchell, who came and spoke at the Festival of Resistance, and uh, and Stephanie Kelton, who's written an excellent book called The Deficit Myth. I mean, and Stephanie and uh, indeed Bill and others who advocate modern monetary theory. I mean, they made this point very, very clearly, and they set it out in very kind of logical steps. Uh, that the fiscal deficit really doesn't matter. The only issue, really, you know, the only limitation on a government's ability to spend into the economy is the capacity of the economy to absorb that spending. Now, we're nowhere near in this country at full capacity. 
the economy, much idle capacity in the economy at the moment. We've got millions of workers who are either unemployed or underemployed in Britain. So we've got the available workforce. We know that there's a massive need, clearly, to insulate all of the homes in Britain. We know that we can afford to pay for that because we've got the spare capacity. We can issue the currency, so there's no issue. We didn't go into the euro, thank goodness, because uh, that would have been problematic if we, if we had. Um, and so I think it's really, really crucial. And I, and I would recommend anybody who involved in Insulate Britain to sort of, uh, you know, look into modern monetary theory, because it's a good way, I think, to respond to these sorts of stupid questions which are put. And I mean, I think, I mean, one of the points you were making, I think, Tracy, when Richard Madeley was, was making the point, was you uh, quite rightly, I think, you know, pointed out how we can afford to spend money on military and all the rest of it. Um, and we could divert it. But, but, but I think... <clears throat> For me, a better response is to kind of point out our ability, our flexibility as a nation with our own sovereign currency to, you know, to invest. And uh, and that's what we should be doing. And so, but Lizzie, uh, oh, oh, she wanted to come back there. You look like you're going to say something, uh, Tracy, yeah, before I bring in. I do. Lizzie, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to say I had a grown up response ready, but I got really angry at the frame of the question. Where does the money come from, the police or the NHS? And I am so tired of them framing mm. it at people like that, especially when I think everybody needs to learn a little bit about the economy because it's going to blow your mind, right? It's a giant con. The emperor's got no clothes on, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I no, absolutely. We can have a good, we can have a good and a, and a, and a vibrance and a, and, a, and, a, and a functioning national health service and, and a police service and all you know social care. We can do all of these things. And if we want, look, yeah. if the economy does start to overheat and th th there's then it's at full capacity. It's nowhere near that at the moment. But if it gets towards full capacity, well, then you can use the taxation system to tax out of the economy some of the spending, if you like, some of the capacity which is being absorbed by private corporations to create the space for public spending on the things that are needed by the public. And we certainly need to, you know, insulate homes in Britain tackles fuel poverty, it creates uh, jobs, and it has the benefit of re reducing our carbon uh, emissions into the atmosphere as well. But Lizzie, Lizzie <laughs> welcome, welcome, uh, Lizzie. I'm, I'm glad you're here. I wasn't sure, as I say, you, you, you were free. I didn't know that uh, you were going to be uh, here. Well, I think it was, so, it was go on, mate. You, you... last minute, wasn't it? It was all a bit last minute. Ah, so, yeah. Uh, so really, so, we've got a lot of questions tonight. Um, one was, uh, what support have you had from Labour? I answered that for you. None. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to know um, how if you've had any support from unions. Steve, have you had any support from unions? You're muted at the moment, Steve. Yeah, apologies. Yeah, I I'm trying. I'm working on it. Yeah. Um, I um I've been obviously pre preoccupied during the campaign, and now I've got this court injunction um, trial on Tuesday. Um, yeah, I'm so you haven't been able to go to, to meetings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, so I haven't been able to meetings in one year. You'd think that somebody from Unite would have been in touch with you and said, "Hey, Steve, saw you on the TV the other night." Hey, Tracy, saw you on Good Morning Britain. Um, you know, we'd love to support what you're doing. We think it's brilliant. It'd give all of our workers jobs. 
uh, we we really want to back you. You'd think, wouldn't you? I, I, my, my door's always, my door's always open and my phone's always on. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Um, sorry, Tracy. Yeah, you're gonna say something. Yeah, no, the same, and that that's a great thing. But I'm not sure as as the people at the front of this, we get to be the popular party that brings the changes in that's needed. What I'm hoping is happening is that Unite are seeing that actually maybe a little bit more resisting the government betrayers is needed so that these other groups will find some courage and, you know, and get a little bit more on board themselves. Mm -hmm. I can maybe understand them not wanting to tag themselves to insulate Britain, but you need to up your game, unions. Come on. <laughs> if I could just jump in there very, very quickly, uh, Lizzie. I mean, yeah. Unite now, Unite... Um, I mean, I was a member of the UCAT, which was the Union of Construction and Allied Trades and Technicians when I was in the building trade. <clears throat> but now, <clears throat> but now, uh, UCAT uh, merged with with Unite. So Unite is um, basically looked after building workers, and there's a huge, as we've already said, number of jobs to be created in the construction industry, insulating everybody's home. And actually, I think we should insulate the commercial premises as well. I mean, it could create hundreds of thousands of jobs. You know, exactly. so Unite, Unite ought to be, you know, very much banging that drum and banging your exactly. drum, as it were, and supporting your cause. Anyway, sorry, Lizzie, just wanted to make that. No, no, well, that, that's a very good point. And uh, it sort of um, got rid of the other point that I was going to make because I've forgotten it now. <laughs> oh, sorry. But, <laughs> sorry. But that's okay. okay. Uh, a lot of people saying that, um, Tracy, you uh, stood up and you spoke and you made a video um, and you had no political leanings beforehand. Like many of us, you know, we all go through life, don't we, trying to either scratch a living or to live our lives and we don't really think about the political um the political will behind it that has created such want and need uh, and desperation amongst ordinary people uh, do you do you live in an ordinary house is you know have you got a, a family yeah um yeah, I was one of them people who thought politics was a separate thing rather than realise everything is politics, right? That's that's where I'm at now. I'm disabled. I live in a housing association house. I'm on benefits. I have three children who are grown. Lots of people keep saying that social services should come along, but that just shows people make assumptions, right? My youngest is 20. 20 21 is 25. And um, actually, my youngest is just moving out. So that's a little bit. At this moment. <laughs> you know, I'm still around. We're just ordinary people, but so yeah, you're, seeing, you're seeing the same as everybody else. Well, myself anyway, and Steve, I know, and Chris, we all see it that um, our children, for, for a start, have got no job prospects. Um, they've got the only prospect they've got is that they'll soon be joining the homeless people you see on the street. You know, every every week when I well, every week when I can, when I go into town, I I take £10. Uh, I don't have much, but I take £10 and I give a pound to every person I see. And it used to be that I would come home with that £10 because there was no one to see. But now it's, it, you know, that £10 goes nowhere. And this is a very small market town. I live not far from... Is that Stuttgart. homeless people are you... Yeah, Is that yeah, homeless people you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. You never and used to see yeah. homeless people on the street. You're absolutely right, as you know. 
no and um and on my facebook chats you know the local chats that everybody i'm sure everybody has i have them um of local communities my village chat we've got you know we have a post every week of someone saying oh my god we're being made homeless next week i'm a fat we've got a family three children we both work all the time we, we work as many hours as we can and we still can't afford to live here um so you know how do we deal with that and i've always thought that insulate britain was getting to the roots of that you know if we created properly built home homes and housing for people um then we could we could keep them in those homes and we could also if we insulated commercial buildings that was my point for your commercial uh, context chris was that yeah. if we insulate commercial buildings, and what about build, building, uh, refurbing those commercial buildings that are of no use anymore because everybody's working from home and uh, people mm. are moving out of their offices? So why don't we repurpose all those commercial buildings and create uh, decent homes? That, uh, that And we can do it, like you said, with modern monetary theory. You don't even have to look at MMT or, or take mm. any lessons in the subject to know that actually there, there is a complete political lack of political will to do this. Because with the, uh, the coronavirus, with the lockdown, um, it was soon made uh, illegal for anybody to be on the streets. So all the local councils managed to house everybody, didn't they? So mm. there was the political, there, there was the ability to do this, just no yeah. political will to do it. Could I? This is the easiest part of to 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 come to to, um, uh, to cure homelessness. The easy part is the housing. Believe me, I've been in this in this sector for four or five years. The hardest part would be the social care and the support access, support side of it. I'm drifting a bit now from Insulate Britain, but if you insulate houses and you you break down the social barriers or the um, unconscious bias of the council estate that it has gone got to in the last 20, 30 years. Well, that was created anyway. And, and, created. And, incorpor and incorporate them individuals as a... As a, um, a, 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 a prospect or a, or, or a deserving a member word. of the community yes and you can do that there's ways of doing that by making them provide a service unknowingly and wittingly by their by their premises that they are they are a, a part of society and there are ways of doing that within the insulation and retrofitting of these properties believe me I'm not going to go into it now because it's a different no, subject. But just in terms of uh, in terms of council properties, Steve and or Tracy, for that matter, uh, we've only got a few minutes left now, so we need to be, be quick. Um, is there an issue, as far as you're aware, of fuel poverty in council accommodation as well as in the private yeah. sector as well? Yes. Now, massive. Is that what? Is that what, Because it's interesting that because I mean, you know, uh, the new Labour government, which I mentioned in my opening remarks. They introduced the the you know the decent home standard for for council dwellings, and I'm supposed to have brought all those council dwellings up to up to, a, up to that good standard. But I don't think it's included the issue of of insulation, or if it did, they certainly didn't do a very good job of it. The point I was going to make is that even if there isn't the political will to use the flexibilities available to central government, 
which, as I've said, has its own sovereign currency. It issues the currency, so it can never run out of money. Local authorities actually can do more than they're doing to deal with the housing crisis because there is no cap now on the housing revenue accounts. There because used to be a cap on how much, how much they could borrow. But ironically, it's the Tory government. And I, when I was chair of housing and then deputy leader and leader of the council in Derby, and even when I was an MP, was campaigning for the cap on the housing revenue accounts to be lifted. And obviously, when I was an MP, it was a Tory government. But for most of the time when I was a councillor, it was a Labour government, and they refused to do it. Now the Tories have lifted that cap. So local authorities should be dealing with, they could eliminate the housing crisis almost at a stroke, but, but they could also be doing a lot more to ensure that they deal with the fuel poverty issue. It's appalling yeah. that you've got public housing, which is, you know, doesn't meet those fuel poverty standards. Yeah, Sorry, Lizzie, did you want to come in there? Yeah, go on. Well, they, they've given away all their housing portfolios, haven't they? Not only the government forced, uh, forced them to sell their housing portfolio to the to the tenants, which is one argument. Um, but also they've let in uh, all these private providers, housing associations, oh, yeah. etc., yeah. who are who are for profit before people. So mm. they're looking at their their um, investors' money. And mm. so they don't care. But some some of course some do care. Perhaps many mm. do care. But there are there are plenty enough that don't care, and they don't care if Tracy's uh, house is is fit for purpose or or um, costing her thirty pounds a week or fifty pounds a week to to heat, uh, you know, to use to pay her fuel bill. They don't care. They just want their rent money. However, they get that rent money. They don't want to lay out any money on on insulating it. Thank you very much. No, indeed. Listen, we've only got two minutes left. Just uh, perhaps just a, a final word uh, from uh, from Steve and then uh, last word to, to you, Trace. Any, any closing comments, Steve, that you would uh, like to make? Uh, thank you for letting us be on this platform and thank you for enlightening us, or me, myself. You've, you've remember, I've remembered, obviously, we've met before, Chris, and every time I meet you, I learn something new and uh, it's always <laughs> a pleasure. <laughs> And well, the same is mutual, comrade. So, <laughs> thank you, Mike. Appreciate Thanks, that. Yeah. Appreciate that, Mike. Thank yeah. you. Tracy, any, any final closing comments that you would like to make? Yeah, thanks to all of you. And just, you know, just to say that we're in a really complicated, really layered mess, but actually at heart it's something really simple. Do we want to continue believing in individual greed or are we going to get on with community need and understanding that by looking after the weakest things, actually, you know, it's not about being a bleeding heart. It's about being logical. <laughs> we need to come together and protect each other. Um, so, yeah, thanks for having us and good luck, Steve. Well, thank, thank, thanks very much. Yes, very best of luck, Steve, to you in the High Court hearing. Uh, and thank you both and thank everybody that's involved with the Insulate Britain. Frankly, you are an inspiration. And look, in years to come, Historians will look back at this period and you will be held up like the suffragettes were all those years ago as people who were, you know, were ahead of the curve. And uh, you will probably make putting statues up to you two, uh, uh, comrades, for, for the efforts that you are uh, engaged in. Well, I'd like to see that. I know you say I know you're very modest, Steve, but I'd like to I'd like to see that in, in, in the fullness of time. Listen. The British establishment put up statues to slave owners, didn't they? You know, so if anybody deserves yeah. a statue, it's people like you. They were trying to deal with this, <laughs> this appalling uh, crisis that we that we have. 
in terms of people dying because they can't afford to heat their homes properly. It's an absolute outrage. It's not justified in any way, shape or form. We're a wealthy country. There's no need for it. It's lack of political will. And and obviously what you're doing in terms of raising the you know, the potential climate disaster, the catastrophe, which will befall us if we don't get a grip of this. And so I say more power to your elbow. Thank you for everything that you're doing. You're an inspiration. Keep going. And uh, we're behind you. Thank you, everybody, for watching this evening. I hope you've enjoyed this evening's discussion. And uh, if you want to uh, follow up and you're interested in, uh, in supporting Insulate Britain, I would urge you to, to lock them up and to lend them your support. Thanks for watching this evening. We'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Good night.